Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening. Whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. With me is my co-host, Susan Fox. Ook. (laughs) (laughs) And our guest today is the incomparable Rachel E. Nichols. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's nice to be here. This is she fun. is incomparable. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> and you're I mean, ook. I'm incomparable, and you're ook. So got, we're killing the, it right I now. I got the looks for radio. So, so in the news at the moment is where a white woman identified as, as a person of color and and made a big splash in the news. Well, you were a person of color in the media, but the color was green. <laughs> you were, I remember first seeing you in Star Trek 2009 as as uh, James T. Kirk's uh, girlfriend and co-conspirator in the Kobayashi Baru hacking, like he invented computer hacking pull. Yes, exactly. And, say, and by the way, say Kobayashi Maru several times fast and your your head just falls off your body. So It does. <laughs> it does. And, I, and I'm not going to try that because it's like, it's like Candyman. It'll happen. Yeah. So you started out um, being an economics and, I mean, you were studying finance in school. Yeah, yeah, I went to uh, I went to and graduated from. I was I always like to say that so my parents like to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, Columbia University in New uh-huh. York, mm-hmm. and um, you know it was the the whole. I ended up I'm sitting where I am today, given the fact that two weeks into my undergraduate work, I told my parents oh, I want to go to business school here, and they said we're going to be broke after we pay for your undergraduate degree, so business school's on you. Um, and from there, kind of started modeling, doing commercials, um, and then got into acting, and mm-hmm. uh, and never looked back. Really, it's quite a it's quite a jump. I mean, how mm-hmm. did you how did you you were sitting in math class one day and said said to yourself, "Hey, I think I want to be on stage." I no, I was I was sitting in in math class one day thinking this is amazing and I want to go to business school and I want to work on Wall Street and I want to you know or be a consultant or be you know I had all these sort of grandiose mm-hmm. ideas and then telling my parents that I wanted to do a couple more years of education past my undergraduate degree at Columbia and when they told me to pay for it I realized that my job 
at Abercrombie and Fitch in the South Street Seaport of New York City wasn't going to pay for an undergraduate degree at an Ivy League school. So uh, I ended up kind of being in the right place at the right time and was in New York, obviously, and uh, and started modeling and doing commercials with the intent of just saving enough money until I could afford business school. Mm-hmm. And you know, knock on wood, as I'm trying to find around me right now. Um, it, it, it didn't work out the way that I thought it would. I ended up, yes, modeling and doing commercials and then getting into acting, which was completely unexpected. Um, and so when I graduated from Columbia, instead of, instead of take a job on, on Wall Street or, uh, or at the bank or, you know, one of, one of the other various jobs that I could have taken, I packed up everything and I moved to L.A., so um, I've been noticing uh, by looking at your filmography that a great many of the uh, projects you've worked on have been science fiction or horror, uh, but mostly science fiction and uh, action oriented. You know, very action oriented stuff. There are no, yeah. there, there are no damsels in distress in in GI Joe. <laughs> no, and I made sure that we didn't do that to Tamara in Conan the Barbarian either. It oh was hell that- no. Um, you know, it, 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 and I didn't seek them, these projects out, obviously. It's just sort of the way that it, the way that it worked. But I mean, the action stuff started with Alias. Yeah, yeah, just mm-hmm. So, and I, and I loved it. I just thought it was the coolest stuff. And I wasn't super familiar with the sci-fi genre until I started, you know, consistently booking work in it. And now it's obviously, you know. Um, something that that I watch a lot more of than than I ever thought that I would, as far as movies are concerned, and and you know, Continuum is so sci-fi oriented. It's really, it's really opened my eyes up to what the genre genre really is. Well, you, it's it's not about the future; it's about now, really. When you yeah. think about it, it's just using using a different mirror than usual. Yeah, exactly. I mean, can you imagine just dropping back 60 years in time? I mean, it would be fun at first, but... <laughs> uh, it's, it's funny because when I was working on the material for Continuum for the first season, I just thought, how weird is this conundrum that I am? Because me, you know, Rachel Nichols, I, I, I know what, at the time, I know what the year 2012 is like, and I do not know what the year 2077 will be like, but Kira Cameron is the exact opposite. She knows 2070, 2077 so well, and she does not know 2012 at all, so... We got to have some, especially in the first season, some fun with, you know, driving a car or all these weird discoveries and this food discovery and sort of what was available and happening in the present day compared to where she had come from in the future. Uh, But the idea of me either traveling 65 65 years into the future or 65 years into the past is um, totally scary to me. So hopefully that doesn't happen. The, I think, what uh, what really sold it for me was how much you made the audience believe that you were, really were from the future. Uh, you had uh, you you had me convinced right away that uh, that you knew a great deal more about uh, where you came from than obviously you were going to say or you were able to say. Uh, but you had that sense of gravitas of substance. Um, uh, the character had that sense of gravitas and substance that it needed to have in order for this to work. Thank you. I I, I really appreciate that. It was it was a very interesting sort of um, 
sort of, you know, process for myself and, and Simon Barry, the, the creator of the show, because we wanted her, I've always contended that people in the year 2077 were far less human than people in the year 2012. And, and if, I mean, many people may not remember the first couple of episodes, but Kira sort of arrived a bit, you know, she was used to her tech and she was used to her CMR and she she was used to not having to, you know, actually deal with humans because she could just re- read everything, all, you know, their mm-hmm. heat sensors. And she was just so used to not being a, a human and, and in daily life, obviously with her son and her husband different. But when she arrived the first couple of episodes, she's almost... You know, she's almost very robotic. Like she's, she, we intended her to have these sort of stilted movements. In this, obviously, she's a fish out of water, and she has no idea where she is, and she doesn't know where she's going. But we wanted the, the trajectory for Kira to make her more human in the time that she was, you know, in her time in mm-hmm. the present, and and hopefully bring that humanness to the future. Yeah, that that was a great story arc. I mean, setting that up. And uh, so you must have had uh, some idea what was going to be happening for like season two and season three. I don't Did you discuss the that? Well, no, you know what? It's funny because Simon had told me from the beginning that if I if I wanted to if I wanted to know the grand scheme of things, he'd always planned for seven seasons. So he had a seven season arc, mm-hmm. you know, in his mind. Sadly, we didn't get seven seasons. We just finished our fourth, and that's um, that's the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he always said, if you want to know more stuff, and I said, look, I want to be on a need to know basis. If I need to know something, as if you know, a time traveler that I counter in episode two of season one is someone that I knew from the future, obviously you're going to have to tell me that. But other than that, I rather just go by, you know, episode by episode. Otherwise I think my brain would explode. Um, just given all of the, all of the options that we, that we had doing a sci-fi time travel show. And so I didn't really know, I didn't know how the show was going to end until Mm -hmm. I read the last script after, you know, it had been released. Um, I didn't know anything in advance. The, uh, the cliffhanger on the end of, uh, episode three. I mean, uh, season three, that was pretty substantial. Uh, <laughs> that was very substantial. And I can say, and I know that I'm allowed to say that those, uh, those, those, uh, those future soldiers are, are back in, uh, in season four in full force. I think they would have to be. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, so it's going to be essentially a direct cut. There's going to be no time lost between uh, There's the no time season, lapse between the finale the of beginning. season three and episode one of season four. So it just picks right up from there. That's good. Unlike, unlike for the people watching who've had months and months to agonize over this. <laughs> I know. Well, that's, the funny thing is before the premiere of each new season, I have to, even myself, watch the last episode of the prior season just to remember where we left off, what happened, who's dead, who's alive, where's Kira. You know, it's it's a it's something that that I have to do every year. Well, and and you were there. I mean, you yeah, no. <laughs> the rest of us. Well, and it's it's this too. is this is something that uh a lot of people in uh in the audience don't realize is that you don't shoot this stuff in order. You don't shoot yeah. it like from page 1 to page Doesn't everybody know 48. this by now? I guess not. 
No, I, I didn't know I, it when I started. Got to mm. be honest. I just thought day one, you shoot page one, two, three, and four, and day five, you know, I just thought it went chronologically, and obviously it, it doesn't. It gets very complicated when you're shooting a show like Continuum, and we shoot two episodes simultaneously. So if we're shooting episode one and episode two, they call it block shooting simultaneously, mm. I might shoot the end of episode two before I shoot the first scene of episode one. That's funny, but, oh, I guess, you know, you have that set up for the day, so, you know, okay, get in your episode four clothes and, and do scene five, six, and seven, and then change your clothes for episode three, and... Yeah, yeah, and as, yeah. as I mean, my scripts are always just covered with writing, and remember, you know, when, and the night before I, I shoot a scene, I, I will go and look and say, okay, I'm shooting scene 28 tomorrow, of episode two, where was the last time I was seen prior to scene 28? Okay, I was in a gun battle in a warehouse, and that took me to the precinct. You've got to go character-wise and, and arc-wise. You've got to know go where you've where just you been were. and then where you're going. If for no other reason than the, the performances aren't sincere. Exactly. You know, That's they, what they, It's they a performance-based mm-hmm. issue. And uh, so do you... So- Find yourself yeah. catching continuity problems as well as you go. Do you help? Yeah, that the is continuity? kind of someone else's job, but the um, you know, the actor has to catch herself too. With a show that's that's as complicated as Continuum, I think we we you know we all do pitch in and say, "Ooh, uh, I think I'm supposed to have a scar in this scene." Because remember that scene two scenes ago in episode four, even though we're shooting episode. Five right now when I got nicked in the head. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you, you, it's, it's a kind of a team effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, we, between our makeup and special effects and we had a gorgeous team every, every season, but yeah, there are certain things that, that stick out at you. Uh, are you sure my hair was in a ponytail in this scene? And it's just, it, it's kind of, it does have to be a group effort because of the complexity. There's so many details to keep track of. It's just, uh, you know, it's like, oh my God, is, is this the jacket that has the tear in it? Or the, oh, that's you know, exactly it. You know, that sort of oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, there's a sequence in in this final season where I, I'm wearing this sort of navy blue trench coat for a lot of it. And then certain days it was jacket with hole. Second mm-hmm. days it was jacket with no hole. Other days it was dirty jacket. You know, you've got all these different iterations of the same jacket and the scenes all boggled. So you've got to, everybody's just got to be on their A game. And for God's sake, don't send it out to the cleaners. No, that's why they buy all those replicas. That's why every, you know, Kira's known for her, for her, you know, trench coats. That's why they buy seven or eight of them so Mm -hmm. that in every iteration, there's a totally clean one that's called the hero. And then, you know, if there's a dirty one or there's a ripped one or there's a bullet hole one or there's one where an entire sleeve is gone, they've got to sort of keep them all in order. That's why they buy so many. And then they'll be on eBay next week. (laughs) <laughs> or in my closet because I just I, I like the ones that are the hero ones well yeah but not with one shape. sleeve <laughs> yeah no not with one sleeve and covered with fake blood that's a terrible someone idea. will buy it I swear Absolutely. to you oh, you, you, could, you could go to conventions in one of those uh, uh, you know the stunt costumes and, f- and, and, just, and auction it off oh, somebody and, oh with my God, some good they cause will go, they some will go good bananas. cause will make it 
Yeah. I know. I, I, you know what? I, that was one of the things that, that I think, cause right now a lot of the, um, especially Kira's super suit from the final season, those are still, as they call, as they say, hot, even though we've finished mm-hmm. shooting the season. If they need to do reshoots, they need all of those. So those are not, you know, made available in the, right, in the right. sales that they have and stuff. But when they mm-hmm. all go, I think, I think it would be brilliant to take super suits and auction them off and then, you know, give the money to charities that I work with. Well, and here's here's another idea for you. Uh, get pictures of the suits and publish them so that people can uh, can see how they're made for cosplay. Because, oh, yeah, you know? that's interesting too. Especially given the fact that season one, that copper suit, there have been so many iterations of the suit because. They were trying to be, season one, they were trying to make the suit warm because we were shooting in the winter, but making the suit warm <laughs> made it thicker, which I did not particularly like. Uh-huh. And it wasn't the most flattering suit. So it, over the course of the, of the first three seasons, the suit was streamlined to such a degree that people would crack up knowing that ideally, initially... The copper suit was a jacket and separate bottoms, mm-hmm. and they just thought the jacket, they just used Velcro to lace the two together. But with all the action, the Velcro was popping off all of the time, and so my skin was showing through. So they had to redo the entire entire costume. And for a number of episodes when they were trying to make it into a onesie, a one-piece suit, mm-hmm. they sewed me into the two pieces every day. So I could oh, get my. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like make darn sure you've gone to the exactly gone to the loop uh-huh. first, especially when you're a girl. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, Mr. Gene here has gone to convention in a onesie, and that was never because he had like the best Spider-Man suit on the block. I will brag on him because he's too modest. I would wait. Why isn't that your 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 picture here on the on the on the Skype? I mean, I, I know, really right? think you should be showing that off. He like hand embroidered, you know, did satin stitching of all the all the lines. I'm gonna I'm gonna need to see proof of this. I'm just okay, saying. we'll, no, we'll yeah. dig it up. We'll put Got it on his Facebook. Pictures from 1977, somewhere. Yes, yes, it was. And um, this is yeah. this is back before you could mail order Spider Man suits. Of course. But that was a onesie, so he knows exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> he feels my pain. Oh, Truly. yeah. Um, so did you have martial arts training? I mean, you, it's, this is, it, you've gone, uh, you've done a really interesting transition. You went from modeling to acting, and uh, there doesn't seem to be an acting school and martial arts training in the... In the uh, well, I mean, when you're in New York and you're at... At Columbia, you're kind of exposed by by osmosis, but unless you took some drama classes, no, not really. Well, I mean, I I have a uh, a fantastic acting coach that I've worked with for years, um, and I her name is Nancy Banks, and I've worked with her for a mm-hmm. decade at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, even when I was I was in Vancouver, where I am right now, and, and Nancy lives in LA, we would we would do Skype Skype sessions, and you know, you just talk about the scripts and she worked on every episode of continuum with me and and she's great for for a baseline she's great to remind me oh don't forget this happened to kira at this point this mm-hmm. point and it's someone to to have you know you go over your lines with them you discuss mm-hmm. you write notes um as far as the like as far a- as the physicality mm-hmm. i mean i started with alias that was the first fight scene i ever did was on alias and you just kind of learn as you go 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a lot of fighting for G.I. Joe. There was obviously yeah. <laughs> different kind of fighting for Conan as I was wielding a sword most of the time. And then Continuum. So if you have a great fight coordinator, which I've been very blessed to have for all the work I've done that involved a lot of stunts, if you have a really good fight coordinator and um, and, and you re- it's like riding a bike. Once you, once you learn how to throw a right hook or an uppercut... Or a spin kick, you're not going to forget it. You may need to to brush up on your skills, but you're mm-hmm. never going to need to put the training wheels back on. Yeah, you really um, you you sell it. I mean, it it looks so good on camera because you you look like you know what you're doing. You're very confident about uh, how you're moving on camera and how it looks to the camera. And uh, I mean, you just I'm just sort of in awe of it. I mean, you're you're an action hero. You're oh, an action thank hero. You. I love that. I love that. I love it. I, I, you know, there there are certain things that I am not allowed to do, and that's when a great stunt double comes in. Like when they, I mean, in Alex Cross, um, they used a a device called the ratchet, where my character was being blown through a glass wall, and the ratchet is basically mm-hmm. tied around them and then yanked back. Yeah, it's basically basically would. they fire a cannon and the the there's a wire connecting the cannonball to you. Exactly. So they fire the cannon and off you go. Yeah, and I had this unbelievable stunt double and her head cleared the ceiling by I don't know an inch and a half and she lands on the table and flops around face down and so then I can just get in there they cover me with a bit of glass and then I can go face up and it's me. So I, I give a shout out to all the all the stunt doubles that I've ever had for doing the things that I either couldn't do or, or wasn't allowed to do prior production. Um, they also make a huge difference as well. Yeah, that's that's always mystified me as well. I mean, if it's not safe for you, why is it safe for them? Because I they've know. had training and if they get a little cut on the face, it's not going to close production for the day. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I've had incredible, I've been very, very lucky from G.I. Joe to Conan to, um, to uh, continue as well. I've had a, a great stunt coordinator, mm-hmm. uh, great stunt team, great stunt double. And then I've had productions that are very respectful of safety first. And that is the most important. I cannot stress it enough. Bold face, underline, underline, safety first. Everybody goes through a rehearsal. Everybody knows exactly what's going to happen, especially if you're using pyrotechnics or, or uh, partial, you know, blanks, which still, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the empty bullets still go out of the gun, basically, the cartridges. You, it's it's got to be safety first or someone will get hurt. And we've all heard the stories of people getting hurt on movie sets where either they were moving too fast or people weren't well enough informed or, or sometimes a fluke accident. Like, but, like John Eric Hexham playing with the... Uh, he uh, was not playing in- with a blank gun. I'll be know. polite and say he was in uninformed. Yeah, he was uninformed. Yeah. He he didn't know that when you shot a blank gun, stuff still comes out. Yeah, no one does. told him, and he just died on the spot, and it was the yeah. most horrible thing. That's why we have the the safety meetings, and that's why mm-hmm. it's everybody. Are you good to go? If if you know it's. Uh, especially, especially when on a TV show, when you're shooting so rapidly on a movie, sometimes you're doing two, three pages a day on a TV show. You've got a, you're putting out 45 minutes as opposed to a normal movie, which is say 90 minutes, mm-hmm. but you're put, you're doing that in seven days or eight days. A movie takes months sometimes. 
So your TV shoots so quickly. You everybody has to be safety first, mm-hmm. on board, know what's going on, pay attention, or horrible, you know, bad things are going to happen. So you're shooting it. You're shooting at almost twice the speed. Yes. That you would shoot on on a feature. Yes. So, when you were using the, uh, uh, when you were on Conan, the sword that you were swinging around, was that an actual steel sword or was it made of something I, else? I did, it's, I did a, I did a partial. I don't, I never liked to, even in P2, I had to carry an axe for a while. Mm-hmm. And they always say, don't you want, they're just like the carbon fiber one that looks real. But I, I don't want that, and I can't. I mean, a full steel sword, to be honest. I, I mean, I Jason had a couple that were full, and he played Conan, obviously. I, I can't wield a sword like that with any sort of accuracy. So I always have them make or find one that's kind of in the middle, not the lightest, not the heaviest. Mm-hmm. But I want it to have some weight because I want it to look real and authentic, but I need to be able to operate it safely. Mm-hmm. And it's all so, about it's all about the appearance. It's not about actual swordsmanship. Yeah, I, absolutely. That's one of the things that cracks me up when I'm watching movies or TV, and they're, you know, someone's walking with a suitcase, and you can all, always tell when there is absolutely nothing in that suitcase and because their There's, arms bounce and their shoulders it, bounce as they walk. Exactly. Around. And it always just jars with me for a second because I'm thinking, there's nothing in that suitcase. I mean, I, I love the sound of music, but Maria was not skipping through the streets with two full suitcases. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that's, I remember that. She would have muscles like Jason Momoa's. Exactly. She? <laughs> She'd have to be Conan the Barbarian to be doing that with a full yeah. suitcase to move in with the Von Trapp family. So there are certain things like that that stick out. So I always want some weight, any purse that I carry, any suitcase, any... Um, guns are always, uh, those are not that heavy, so I can always carry those, but swords are definitely very heavy or a shield, but mm-hmm. I want some weight to it. So it, it appears real. Not that I'm just flitting about with a yeah. 50 pound suitcase. Thank you for that. <laughs> so what about your next project? What are you working on next? Um, I, um, we've just finished season four of Continuum, so. Uh-huh. And that was okay. a half season. That would, you didn't get to do a whole season. Hey, listen, it, at you? least they got that much stuff like, exactly. uh, Farscape you know, and Alienation got pretty much a TV movie to wrap up the, the screaming, uh, cliffhanger. And that was kind of it. Yeah. So we, you know what, it get, was, it was definitely here. disappointing to know that the show was going to be over, but it was. Definitely. And Simon Barry calls it our sort of victory lap. It was, it was, it was Mm -hmm. fantastic that we got these last six episodes to wrap up the story because I I mean, and sci-fi fans, I have to say are the, are the best. They are the most loyal and they are so intelligent. They are so smart. I mean, if you shoot something that looks like crap, they're, they're going to hate you for it. But if you do it well, they will support you forever. And I think this, and I've said it before in other interviews, and I, I, if I could thank every every fan personally, I would, because I think we only had a season four. Actually, I know we only had a season four because the fans demanded it. They demanded it on Twitter, on Facebook, all over the internet. They were, you know, banging down Shaw's doors and showcase and just asking, mm-hmm. we need more, we need more. And I don't think we would have a season four, like I said, I know we wouldn't, if it weren't for the fans. They were amazing. And that's why we got those last six episodes. So the last six episodes are for the cast, for the crew, and for the unbelievable fans who were aggressive 
and wanted answers and the answers they got were six final episodes and that speaks volumes of their power that means we better all watch just to make sure that when the fans demand something it's worth their while to listen don't you worry we just finished season four and i can tell you it's going to answer some of your questions and it's going to leave you with a whole bunch of others Ah! (laughs) which which you love it though you just gotta love Love it it. love it as as susan was saying it does open the door for uh possible um you know yeah sequels or or movies absolutely let's go back to the you know going back to that universe and see what's happening um who knows you know yeah, I mean, it's um, the the beauty the beauty of a show like Continuum um, in the, the genre that it's in, and, and with time travel, there are just endless numbers of stories. There are endless possibilities with what you can do, and different timelines you can develop, and whether it's the freelancers or the super soldiers or Kira getting home, you know, uh, it, there are so many avenues that you can go down. It's it's. It's limitless, which is, for me, very, very, very exciting as an actor and, and for show watchers as well. One of the things I liked uh, about the, the character design you know, for Kira was that uh, it didn't rely on uh, the gratuitous... Um, well, yeah, it didn't Yeah, rel- it didn't rely on that. You, you didn't, didn't have to be negative it. to uh, make an impact. Thank you. I love I love that you said that because it was it it was something that never never occurred. It was never going to be necessary. It was never it was just if that wasn't the show that we were making. Mm-hmm. And and there are shows that are made like that that do very very well and that's awesome, but that that wasn't our show and we didn't have to make that our show and to get viewers or mm-hmm. to or to get into all these different countries our show was something different and and it makes me very proud to be to have been the female lead of a show that was so successful where i didn't have my boobs out all the time yep that was uh that was something that susan and i were was uh, were discussing um earlier on uh you know if uh who was who was the woman they cast as Wonder Woman? Uh, Gal Gadot. Yeah, Gal Gadot. Yeah, yeah, I was I was thinking, heck, watching you in Continuum, you could have done that job. No, that no problem. I would have loved no to do problem. that job. Well, we should put her on the you've, you've list got, for got the... uh, you know a backup. Gal Gal gets into another Fast and Furious movie and can't yeah. do it. Uh, we got a short list. It's... Exactly. I would love that. And I've had, you know, I've had, I've had, I have, I mean, fans on Twitter have been incredible, not only supporting Continuum, but, you know, sort of saying you should be Wonder Woman or you should be this person in Batman. So we're not the first person to think that. Uh, (laughs) How could that be? I had a bunch of fans that just said, you have to be Wonder Woman. And I said, I wish I could, but obviously, given the, the shooting schedule of Continuum and my contractual agreements, I couldn't even throw my name in the ring. Uh huh. Yeah, which yeah, is unfortunate, but yeah, but uh, still, you know, it could happen in the future. You Everything just, could happen in the future. So many things are possible. I mean, it's I know. the uh, which is sort of the 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 undercurrent in Continuum. It's it's a it's a story about possibility. And about what could have been and what should have been. And, and uh, I mean, we all have these doubts and regrets. 
And uh, what what would the world be like if we went back and fixed things? Well, sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it isn't. We yep. look at our little teen genius and we wonder if he's going to be, uh, you know, the hero of the world the, or the villain who makes everything go wrong. We don't know yet. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's one, another one of the reasons I, I, I loved the show so much and I loved Kira so much because, you know, in the beginning she, she comes back, sure, she's thrown back, you know, 65 years in time. And, and she clearly has a very clear opinion of good versus evil. Uh, black, uh, it's all black and white. She's good. Liberate is bad. End of story. And in her time that she spends in the present day... She comes to say to herself, okay, maybe their tactics weren't the best. Maybe they weren't the most moral, but maybe where they wanted to go isn't all that bad. And so there's that she changes with the audience. Mm-hmm. That was always the pitch. Mm, she yeah. changes with the, or the audience changes with her. The mindset mm-hmm. changes, the, the pejorative nature of liberate changes. And it's, it's, I love that because it's, about a learning curve and it's about different times and the measure of different things. And, and at the end of the, of the series, her moral code is, has been sort of recalibrated to understand the bad future that she came from can be changed. And I will say that she enacts change for the better in her future and that is such an interesting idea for me, especially because the audience goes on the same journey. Well, and especially cool. since, uh, I mean, she's got something at stake. I mean, what if she tries to fix things and it fixes her out of existence? Yes. Or, or her child. Or her child. Yeah. Or and her. that was, you know, season one, it was like, I have to get home. I have to get home. I have to get home. Season two, I, I want to get home. But I have a job. I've been sent back here for a reason, and I need to fulfill that mission. I need to complete that mission. Season three, I call it, it was, quote, unquote, for the good of humanity. And the reason that I say that is because in season three, she says, I want to get home to my son and my husband, but I can't ostrich myself. I can't put my head in the sand and wait for someone to knock on my, you know, knock on my leg with a time ball saying, you can go back to that crappy future you left just because of your husband and your son. And and Kira decides in season three, I want to get back to my husband and my son, but it would be very selfish to not try to make the future better just to go back to the same crappy future she left for two people instead of all of humanity. And then in season four, obviously we knew it was the end. And, and, and she comes back around to, to there's more interest in going home, but there's even more of an interest in making sure that if she were to leave this time, she wouldn't be, you know, hightailing it out of there and leaving a big pile of crap for Carlos and Alec to clean up. She's intent on completing her mission. And, and, and I love that about the show. I, I love, I love that the, the, the moral integrity mm-hmm. and the way that the, the tone of her intentions changed over the four seasons. It's a it's, wonderful story arc. You don't get to tell Lead us, or, you don't get to answer the question. If we asked you, does she go home? No, I don't get to answer any questions. <laughs> like that. I have to that ask would, though. That that I know. Of course you do. Of course. And I'm yeah. sitting here smiling, being like, Oh, yeah. Right. But you know, That's don't cool. you? I do. We did, we did shoot the last episode already, so I know exactly what happens at the end. Oh, that's that's 
John dies at the end. No, wait, that's a different movie. <laughs> yes, I was joking in the beginning when you said that you could delete anything that I wasn't supposed to say when I said Kira dies in season four. <laughs> that doesn't happen. I'm, you don't no. have to delete that. Yeah, that was just silly. <laughs> okay. Um, so who do you read? Who, who, who writes your favorite books? Uh, or who you know inspires I'm, you I'm generally? Kind of old school. I've got uh, Hemingway. Um, uh-huh. Steinbeck, J.D. Salinger, uh, Catherine Rye, primarily. Uh-huh. Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald, because The Great Gatsby. Um, and then, you know, I, I did love Gone Girl, and I did love... Um, now I'm not going to remember the name of it. Actually, Barbara Kingsolver wrote this brilliant book, and it's nonfiction, but it reads like fiction because it's so funny, um, called Animal Vegetable Miracle, which I always refer people to because I, I found it such a it's a it's very interesting story of a family that decides to move in the states uh, somewhere where they can uh, live off the land or buy lo- local mm-hmm. meats and bartering and all that for a year and it's a, it's actually a it's a it's a great book but then again I love the Life of Pi by Jan Martel mm-hmm. I, I I adored that book um, and then um, extremely close. Uh, yeah, extremely. Uh, no, uh, Jonathan Safran Foyer, extremely loud and incredibly close. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Um, never watched the movie because I tend to. The only movie that I've ever seen that I had read the book prior to was um, To Kill a Mockingbird by mm-hmm. Harper Lee, mm-hmm. and that had Gregory Peck, and that was a brilliant movie. But I don't usually watch a lot of uh, a lot of movies based on books that I love. Well, can you so- imagine what a movie they'd make of it now? Yeah. No, I don't think I want them to. No, no, not at all. So I, I do, you know, my father was an English teacher um, for many years, and uh, reading was always a, a big thing in our family. I mean, I have a younger brother, and um, every night our parents would read to us, and, you know, they'd alternate. Mom would read to me one night, then Dad the next night, then Mom, then Dad. And we, I always had two different books going with, with each parent. You know, my mom and I read oh, that's all, great. Of, all of The Little House on the Prairie. And then uh-huh. my dad did all the voices for James and the Giant Peach and Knights of the Round Table. And um, and that's that's where my love of reading came from. And I read at a very early age because they... It was a big. It was a big deal in our house, and so I, I still, you know, and I read my fair share of. I love my rock biographies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I I love biographies in general, um, and then I and I love brilliant fiction. Have you Have you considered doing any writing yourself? I, you know, I have. I I, I was very you know i've i've been surrounded by brilliant writers for for a long time um some people i've worked with some that are just dear friends and yes i'm just waiting for that sort of that right kind of i i write sort of stream of consciousness things and in my in my own time or uh, you know but i i'm waiting for that sort of right idea and maybe i would embark on it it's very intimidating um it's a big and- job I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, yeah. it's worse than planning a movie because you've got, instead of, you know, 120 pages, you've got three times that many mm-hmm. and every word you write is you're, you're trying to paint a picture of a, yes. of a thought or an action, uh, or an event. Because you're not just the writer, you're the director, you're the set you're, man, yes. art director, you're the... And that's where my love of Hemingway comes from because you know what? I have never been to a bullfight, but I read The Sun Also Rises and now I've read it. 
And he took times. you with him, didn't he? Yeah, I've been in a bullfight. I mean, it's it's yeah. unbelievable to 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 read that kind of writing, and it's it's also very humbling. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's there in me somewhere, and it will eventually come mm-hmm. out. Um, but right now, I just I, I enjoy the, the work of others. <laughs> so you're building the life experiences that will make the great book later. Exactly, I'll write the there great American go. novel. <laughs> Could be the action heroine on Wall Street. Exactly, exactly. It Power suit by day, super suit by night. So what uh, what movies do you like? What are your what are your favorite films? What My is, favorite movie is, of all time you? is Silence of the Lambs. Uh-huh. Which I know is a bit weird for a favorite movie. Oh no, uh, I think I, it's it's got so much dimension to it. Um I I just I I just always always loved it. And then you know, I've got a pretty it's a pretty interesting sort of, I mean, everything from Midnight Express, mm-hmm. which which I loved. Moonrise Kingdom, I do have to say, is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. I Although I, I loved the uh, the hotel. What did, we wa- what did we watch in our honeymoon? Budapest Hotel. Oh, yeah. yes. Budapest. That was, oh, that was wonderful. Um, but then again, I'm also, you know, you get me every time with When Harry Met Sally. Yeah. yeah, and and then go back to to Withnail and I. I I loved Withnail and I. I still do. It's it cracks me up. It's you know I've got the Criterion collection of it. Um, the Virgin Suicides. It's it's not a movie I'm going to sit down and have a bunch of popcorn to because it is relatively mm-hmm. depressing. But I loved that film. So I think I, it's 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 hard. To, I, I do say Silence of the Lambs is the first, and it really is. But I have encountered so many different kinds of of films, and To Kill a Mockingbird is up there as well. It's a it's a beautiful film. Well, it's uh, it's an interesting slice. I mean, the uh, uh, you have a very eclectic, wide ranging. Uh, interest in books and films and the common thread that i see is that in each case you've picked one that uh, where the writer or the director has told uh an engaging enveloping narrative you know an uh, an engaging enveloping story but about yeah. about yeah. engaging enveloping people yes yeah and they're not all the same no, I love, I love, you know, I, I, you know, Wes Anderson is very stylized, but I can lose myself in his, his films. I can, I, I, I yes, the Grand Budapest Hotel is very stylized. Uh, um, I, I, Moonrise Kingdom is stylized, but he's got this style and it doesn't matter to me because I don't sit there and think I'm watching a movie. I just get taken into it. I mean, I, I loved The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. David Fincher is one of my favorite directors, mm-hmm. and I love that he can direct that, and he can direct Fight Club, because I also liked that movie. Well, these are both about men who had a very interesting lives that were not like anyone else's. Mm-hmm. Very true. But yeah, I like the... I, 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 I like it all. If you can suck me in and, uh, and tell me a story... As I, I can suspend belief and I can just jump right in, paddle, you know, in the same boat, paddling in the same direction and just get completely absorbed in it and, and, and lose myself wherever I, wherever I am. If I'm watching something that takes me and pulls me in and is fun, intelligent, 
emotional, any of it. If it's, if it's sincere, if it's authentic, I'm, I'm on, I'm on board. Perhaps this is one of the things that makes you such a good actor. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, because you understand what it takes to do that, you know, to what it takes to take the audience out of wherever they are and bring them to a new world or a new place. I, yeah, I, I, I and that's exactly, you're exactly right. That's exactly what it is. And that's exactly what you want to do. I mean, I could watch Meryl Streep paint a white picket fence. And I think she'd do it in a way that nobody had ever done it before. I could do the same with Emma Thompson, um, Daniel Day Lewis, um, Natalie Portman. I, it just there are so many people out there that that have the ability, or so many great actors that have that ability to just say, "Hey, you might have never experienced this before, but I'm going to show you what it's like through my eyes, and you're going to feel like you lived it." Rachel E. Nichols, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Event Horizon here on Krypton Radio. We're so glad to have you with us. The Continuum series should be debuting, what is it, uh, July? Um, no, It was that, July, but now it's moved to September. September middle of sub- September 15th on Showcase, I believe. Yes, I think you're right. They they felt, and, and I'm actually very happy about this, that it would coincide a little bit more with the release in, in the States mm-hmm. on Sci-Fi. So it's just, it's just better for audiences. Plus, you know, we're not exactly a summer show. I'd rather be in the fall anyway. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it's not like we can't walk you know, across the border and watch it at our friend's house or get someone to send us a <laughs> DVD or something, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, welcome to yeah, the, the internet age. Yeah. That, the internet that trick age does not work anymore. No. I mean, <laughs> the BBC not. was, you know, it was pointed out point blank to by one of our friends that, you know, you can't release Dr. Who in July on what, you know, in, in the UK and in the United States three months later, it's no, just cause because they'll have seen the, it already and they're not going to watch your commercials. No. And then, and then, you know what, even with the simple things like Twitter, if it's, it's, if it's released in Canada and we're all supposed to live tweet about the episodes, then most of my followers, you know, it, they're good. They don't want spoilers. It's just, you know, it's trying to sort of get them closer together so that, so that everybody gets to enjoy the surprises at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's a world audience now. It's not original. It, it is. And yes. you know, they've got a big following down under. Yeah. It airs in uh, New Zealand and uh, Australia, because they must have to get up at yuck in the morning. But. I, know. <laughs> I know. I don't quite know how that, that they, they work that out. But deep, they definitely deep devotion it. to you, my dear. And, oh, well, thank uh, you. It was such a pleasure you. speaking with you guys. Thank you for having me on. We were absolutely, it was absolutely our pleasure. You have just heard episode 113 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for September 5th, 2015. Our guest has been Rachel E. Nichols, who stars as Kira Cameron on the Sci-Fi Channel series Continuum. Your hosts have been Gene Turnbow and Susan L. Fox. This episode will air again on September 6th, 2015 at 4 p.m. Pacific and at additional times throughout the coming week. See our website for showtimes in your area. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads on KryptonRadio.com and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. If you are an author or other creator and would like to be on the show, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at catcarter at KryptonRadio.com. If you would like to become a patron of the Geeky Arts, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. Visit Patreon.com slash KryptonRadio to join the Krypton Radio family of patrons. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. 
The science officer was played by Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2015 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.